Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, August 18th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. ECOWAS threatens to intervene militarily in Niger. Wildfires rage through Canada's Northwest Territories. Over 100 are arrested over church burnings in Pakistan. Over 60 migrants are feared dead off Cape Verde's coast. RFK Jr. is granted an emergency hearing for his lawsuit against YouTube. A U.S. appeals court upholds limits on abortion pill access. New York City bans TikTok on government devices. A study finds ChatGPT holds systemic left-wing bias. A pig kidney functions for a month in a human body. And UK scientists think they've discovered the cause of smoking addiction. In our top story, ECOWAS threatens to intervene militarily in Niger. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, DW, Voice of America, Guardian, and North Africa Post. Abdel Fattah Moussa, the Commissioner for Peace and Security at a 15-member ECOWAS, or Economic Community of West African States, stated Thursday that regional forces are ready to intervene militarily in Niger if diplomatic efforts fail to reinstate deposed President Mohamed Bazoum. He further said that all member states except those under military rule, Burkina Faso, Guinea, and Mali, as well as Cape Verde, stand prepared to join a standby force. This comes as military chiefs from the bloc gathered in Ghana's capital of Accra to begin a two-day meeting on the ongoing crisis in Niger, following the activation of the force last week to, quote, restore constitutional order in the country. While it remains unclear if or when troops would intervene, there has been speculation that Benin, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Senegal would contribute soldiers to the force, which could take weeks to months to prepare. The prospect of intervention has caused domestic political pushback in key countries, with Nigeria's Senate expressing objections and opposition parties in Ghana questioning the legal basis for it. Meanwhile, the African Union has reportedly rejected a military solution to the situation in Niger, but has so far refrained from issuing a joint statement before hearing ECOWAS's decision. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Eric ran down the facts for us, and now Narrative A comes from the conversation. A military intervention in Niger would not only be ineffective as support for the junta grows, but could aggravate the crisis in West Africa and the Sahel. A regional war would likely sidetrack anti-terrorism efforts, embolden human traffickers, and provoke a mass influx of refugees while risking to push Niger closer to Russia and the Wagner Group. We follow that up with Narrative B coming from Pulse Ghana. The military takeover in Niger was the last straw in a long string of coups that have recently taken place in ECOWAS countries. So it's time to send troops to topple the junta and deliver a strong deterrence message against coup plotters. If the regional bloc fails to fulfill its duties in trying to appease these authoritarians, then military coups will soon become epidemic in West Africa. And from time to time, we have nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community. This time, they predict that there's a 46% chance that ECOWAS will intervene militarily in Niger before October 1st of 2023. And news from the Great White North as Canadian wildfires spark evacuations in the Northwest Territories. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, BBC News, The New York Times, NPR Online News, and CNN. 
On Wednesday, residents of Yellowknife, the capital city of Canada's Northwest Territories, were given until noon on Friday to evacuate as a wildfire approaches the city. At the time of the order, the fire was 10 miles or 16 kilometers outside of the city and expected to breach the city limits by the weekend. In addition to the 20,000 residents of Yellowknife, the 3,000 residents of Hay River were swiftly evacuated by bus to escape a rapidly moving wildfire engulfing the area Wednesday night. Prior to Wednesday's evacuation orders, 6,800 residents, or roughly 15% of the area's population, had already been evacuated. More than 200 fires have scorched the Northwest Territories, limiting visibility, closing highways, and shuttering evacuation routes. In a Facebook post, Northwest Territories Fire said, Crews that were in the path of the fire are pulling off for their own safety and are repositioning to assist in other areas. The agency also announced that support had been requested from the province of Alberta to stop the spread of the fire, hoping to return when conditions allow. Evacuees were urged to drive south to Alberta following assigned escorts. On Thursday, commercial airlines and the Royal Canadian Air Force were set to begin evacuating residents by air with one carry-on bag permitted, with the housing arrangements awaiting them in Alberta unclear. As of Wednesday, more than 8,108 miles of the Canadian landscape have burned in a record year for wildfires. Currently, there are more than 1,000 active fires burning. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is an establishment critical narrative, and it comes from Washington Examiner. As wildfires ravage Canada and smother the U.S. with smoke, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau continues to point the finger at climate change. The warming planet is certainly one of the culprits, but not the only entity at fault here. Those suffering under the weight of this wildfire season cannot let Canada escape its responsibility and culpability in its lack of planning, prevention, management, and mitigation. They must own their failures if there's any hope for improvement for future fire seasons. And the School of Human Nutrition brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Canada is witnessing an unprecedented fire season, and the impacts are far-reaching. Historically, the nation has been largely reactive to wildfires, suppressing them on a case-by-case basis with no holistic approach to wildfire and forest land management. More recently, however, there has been a shift in policy to increase fire specializations, improve and increase communication and warning systems, and management plans for firefighting by air. While this shift is positive, it will take time for the programs to grow and be effective. There's probably only a few weeks or maybe a month where it's like warm and nice up in the Northwest Territories. It's probably right about now. So imagine having to evacuate during the one month of a year where it's like temperate where you live. That would be insult to injury. It definitely is. And, you know, I think it's time for another Smokey the Bear campaign. I want Smokey the Bear. I want McGruff. I want the whole, I want Captain Planet. I want everyone back. We need to get back on that. I like think any cartoon mascots work. That's the only I, thing I know. Yeah. I, to- I totally agree. I mean, the world was a better place back then. Come on. I mean, we're amazing. Great, I was raised by Spuds McKenzie, so right. we're fine. Exactly. Fine. He's the original party animal. <laughs> yeah. Fine. News coming from Pakistan as over 100 have been arrested following church burnings. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, Guardian, and NPR Online News. Pakistani authorities have arrested 129 Muslims for participating in mob violence after a group of Muslims attacked churches and the homes of Christians in the eastern Pakistani city of Jaranwala on Wednesday. 
The attacks followed accusations that two Christian men, who've also been arrested, had desecrated a copy of the Quran. The two Christians who fled their homes alongside their families were accused of blasphemy, an extremely serious allegation in Pakistan. The police stated they found pages of the Quran with derogatory comments written in red that were connected to the Christian suspects. According to a Christian leader, local clerics incited the mob by saying that Muslims needed to defend their faith, after which police and rangers reportedly intervened to keep the crowds at bay. The groups eventually dispersed after authorities allegedly promised that the men who desecrated the Quran would soon be arrested. A number of top Pakistani politicians, including caretaker Prime Minister Anwar Ulhaq Kakar and former Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif, condemned the mob violence, while a delegation of Muslim clerics went to Jaranwala to express solidarity with Christians. Blasphemy is technically punishable by death in Pakistan, but no one has ever been executed for the crime. However, numerous people accused of blasphemy have been lynched by outraged crowds. Okay, let's start with Narrative A from Voice of America. This attack on Christians is completely unacceptable. Pakistan must reel in Islamic extremists who seek to spread their dangerous ideology. Minorities are constantly under threat in contemporary Pakistan, which for decades has become an increasingly hostile place for those who are not Sunni Muslims. Officials must do more to promote religious tolerance. Narrative B comes from Reuters. Mobs incited by accusations of blasphemy in Pakistan are almost always a product of personal scores or attempts to acquire increased political clout. Though the ranks of these mobs are filled with extremists, religion is not necessarily the inciting factor. In order to address these conflicts, authorities must consider the motives of individuals or groups who believe they can acquire political or social gains via mob incitement. Over 60 migrants are feared dead near Cape Verde's coast. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Times, BBC News, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, Sky News, and the Associated Press. Authorities and migrant advocates said Thursday that more than 60 migrants are feared dead after a Spanish vessel rescued a Senegalese traditional fishing boat, carrying more than 100 people off Cape Verde. The boat left Fosboye, a small fishing village about 90 miles or 145 kilometers north of Dakar, Senegal's capital, on July 10th, and capsized according to the International Organization for Migration, or IOM. 38 people were rescued from a boat off the Cape Verdean island of Sal. Almost all of the passengers were thought to be from Senegal. While information is limited, those who are missing are presumed dead. The cause of the maritime disaster is yet to be determined. The wooden boat was spotted Monday in the Atlantic Ocean off West Africa, about 150 nautical miles, or 227 kilometers, from Cape Verde. Early reports suggested the boat had sunk, but later developments suggested it was adrift. The route from West Africa to Spain is one of the world's most perilous migration routes. Refugee flows departing from Senegal in wooden boats have increased dramatically in the past year. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. Narrative A comes from DW. Heightened border controls in northern Morocco, Libya, and Tunisia have pushed migrants from northwest African nations to opt for the more perilous route on the Atlantic to the Spanish Canary Islands. The trip can take anywhere from one to ten days, and it's common for migrants to run out of food, water, and fuel after only a few days on board. This is a sad and tragic outcome of a global migration crisis exacerbated by regional actors. And Narrative B comes from Socialist Worker. These deaths of migrants in the Atlantic are not accidental. 
European leaders have made a political choice to force refugees to make these dangerous journeys by setting up xenophobic border controls and severely limiting safe refugee routes. African nations should not be to blame. These crises are caused by inhumane European policies. RFK Jr. has been granted an emergency hearing in the YouTube lawsuit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Independent, and the New York Sun. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. secured an emergency hearing on Wednesday in his lawsuit against Google, which seeks a temporary order restricting the removal of his videos from YouTube. On Wednesday, RFK Jr. submitted a 27-page complaint in California alleging that YouTube, a, quote, state actor under pressure from President Biden, violated his First Amendment rights by engaging in viewpoint discrimination. The suit claims that unlike other social media platforms, YouTube has treated RFK Jr. differently since he has become a presidential candidate. Specifically, RFK Jr.'s discussions regarding COVID vaccines have reportedly been removed for violating its vaccine misinformation policy. Judge Nathaniel Cousins of the Northern District of California scheduled the emergency hearing to address RFK Jr.'s request for an injunction to prevent YouTube from removing his videos for the duration of his presidential campaign. Meanwhile, a YouTube spokesperson termed the lawsuit meritless, adding that its policies against misinformation, including the rule stating that any health content posing a, quote, serious risk of egregious harm and contradicting health authorities will be removed, are applied without prejudice. All right, we have an establishment critical narrative from Reason. It's egregious that a social media platform is removing the videos of a presidential candidate, robbing the voting public of a free and fair debate. Misinformation in any case is still speech and is protected under the First Amendment. The media has spread misinformation about RFK Jr.'s views, endorsing the silencing voices, speaking out against the establishment. Big tech should stop playing favorites and let the American public decide for themselves. We follow that up with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Scientific American. Google, a private company, has every right to decide what can and can't be shown on its platform. While RFK Jr. is conjuring baseless conspiracies of federal meddling to make his case, misinformation has real consequences. YouTube shouldn't be obligated to give him preferential treatment simply because he's running for president. This lawsuit will undoubtedly be dismissed, and RFK Jr. has no right to force a private company to air his hateful views. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict that there's a 1% chance that Robert F. Kennedy will be the Democratic nominee for president in the year 2024. Well, I know your heart goes out to uh, RFK Jr. Uh, you know, same, you know, obviously same thing happened to you a couple of years ago. You know, Google pulling all your YouTube stuff. Well, I mean, it's it's hard. You know, what you, you have a song to sing and you and you want people to hear it. You know, that's really what it is. I and, still have all of your I mean, I downloaded all of them when they were posted. Love them, man. I've got like albums of your stuff. I can't believe it. Yeah, well, them. I appreciate that you repost them when you can, but they just I do. keep getting taken down. I do. Yeah, I you do. Know, you, anyway. But keep fighting the good fight. We, I, you will, know, I man. appreciate all the members of my fan club. Oh, I really man, appreciate I, that. I got you, brother. I got you. It's the little people that really <laughs> matter to me. That's what I'll say. An appeals court upholds limits on abortion pill access. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, the Associated Press, USA Today, Al Jazeera, Reuters, and NPR Online News. On Wednesday, New Orleans' 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that U.S. access to mifepristone, a widely used abortion pill, will be limited, mandating a ban on its telemedicine prescriptions and mail shipments. 
The Biden administration will reportedly appeal the decision to the Supreme Court. Mifepristone, approved by the FDA in 2000, has been used by over 5 million women in the U.S. as part of a two-drug regimen alongside misoprostol, as the pill has a 99.6% success rate and a mortality rate of less than 0.001%. In 2016, the window of mifepristone's use was extended by three weeks. In 2019, the FDA approved a generic version of the pill. And in 2021, the agency authorized pharmacies to deliver it via mail. Though it didn't completely overturn the pill's FDA approval, Wednesday's ruling reversed the window of mifepristone's use back to up to seven weeks of pregnancy instead of ten. The three-judge panel held that the FDA failed to adequately consider safety concerns when it approved mifepristone in 2000 and loosened its access in 2016. However, the ruling will not take effect until the Supreme Court, which in April upheld national access to mifepristone, reviews it. Those are the facts, and our first spin is a right narrative coming from The Federalist. The abortion industry has lied about the effects of chemical abortions for a long time. And this legal battle is finally bringing the facts to light. By approving mifepristone, the FDA put women and girls at risk of symptoms ranging from cramping and nausea to infection and bleeding. Facing pressure from the powerful abortion lobby, the FDA prioritized abortion pill access over encouraging women to consult their doctors. This has always been a political issue, but the public is only opening its eyes to the fact now. And the left narrative spin comes from Vanity Fair. If the Texas ruling is ultimately upheld, it will open the door for right-wingers to challenge the FDA's authority on more than just mifepristone. Based on the judge's opinion, the plaintiffs had standing to bring this case simply because they alleged, without a shred of evidence, that some people were harmed by the pill. With that precedent set, anti-vaxxers and other conspiracy theorists can convince a judge to overrule any medicine they deem problematic. We have a nerd narrative for this story coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 5% chance that elective abortion will be banned nationally in the U.S. before 2030. In our next story, New York City bans TikTok on government devices. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Politico, Forbes, Fox News, and New York Post. New York City announced on Wednesday that social media platform TikTok has been banned on city-owned devices, citing security concerns. The city agencies must remove the app from their devices within the next 30 days and stop accessing the platform effective immediately. The city joins 30 states and the U.S. federal government in banning the Chinese-owned platform on government devices, with New York State banning the app in 2020. A City Hall spokesperson said a City Cyber Command review determined that the app posed a security threat. TikTok owner ByteDance has reportedly denied claims that user data has been or could be shared with the Chinese government, saying U.S. data are secured from foreign access. Montana passed a law in May to fully ban the app. Mayor Eric Adams has also been critical of the effect TikTok may have on youth and crime, saying it amplifies bad behavior and can, quote, use and exploit inner-city conflicts to promote violence. The account bios operated by city entities have been charged to reflect that they are no longer active. New York State's ban on TikTok carved out limited exceptions for accounts involved in public relations. The U.S. TikTok dispute dates back to 2020, when then-President Trump attempted to ban the app entirely. Efforts to have ByteDance divest from TikTok in the U.S. entirely have been met with resistance by the Chinese government. 
Thanks, Eric. Forbes brings us the anti-China narrative. A majority of Americans consider TikTok to be a national security threat. Chinese state-sponsored snooping is globally notorious, and there's no reason to take the company at its word that it's not violating the privacy of U.S. citizens. It's just due diligence that an app that could facilitate spying by the Chinese Communist Party should stay off government devices. ByteDance should be forced to sell off TikTok if they wish to continue operating stateside. We follow that up with a pro-China narrative coming from Xinhua. Leaders on both sides of the aisle are leading a cynical assault against TikTok to foment anti-China sentiment, with there being not one shred of evidence that the app is used for espionage purposes by China. TikTok collects no more data than American tech platforms, but is under much more scrutiny. The TikTok crusade is bordering on hysteria as U.S. leaders ignore the grave privacy concerns posed by Western social media platforms. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they say there's a 15% chance that TikTok's U.S. operations will be sold to an American entity by 2024. All right, Eric, I'm addicted to TikTok. I'm going to uh, share with you the type of content that I watch on a regular basis. So I'm going to ask you, blindly rank these five fast food restaurants. Now, okay. first one, McDonald's. Where are you going to put it? Five. All right, McDonald's in the five spot. Burger King. Four. KFC. Three. Subway. Two. Uh-oh, so you're stuck. Whatever I say next, Pizza That's... Hut is your number one <laughs> okay. fast food restaurant. Dude, <laughs> hey, I'll take it. You know what? I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the kind of content that I'm watching on TikTok. Is uh, that a okay. security threat? You no, be the judge. I you, love it. You, you I love it. Judge. I don't know. You just ranked Pizza Hut the best restaurant oh, in the world. That, 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 that might be pretty dangerous. <laughs> a study claims ChatGPT holds a systemic left-wing bias. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Digit, TVP World, Forbes, Narometrics, Washington Post, and Sky News. A study by researchers at the UK's University of Anglia has found that ChatGPT contains a significant and systemic bias towards left-wing ideology. Researchers asked the AI chatbot to take part in a survey based on politics in the UK, US, and Brazil from both an unprompted perspective and from a left-wing perspective. The paper concluded that, within the surveys, the AI showed favor towards Democrats in the U.S., President Lula in Brazil, and the Labour Party in the U.K. Each question was asked over 100 times, with answers then placed within a 1,000-repetition bootstrap data sampling method to improve reliability. Dr. Fabio Matoki, the lead author of the study, claimed that answers reinforced concerns that AI could replicate or even amplify pre-existing biases online. In December 2022, Elon Musk, who co-founded OpenAI, ChatGPT's creator, tweeted that the danger of training AI to be woke was deadly. Musk left OpenAI in 2018. The news comes after the University of Washington's own study also concluded ChatGPT and other GPT-4 models to be the most left-leaning artificial intelligence chatbots, while also finding Meta's Llama to be the most right-leaning and authoritarian model. Thanks, Scott, for the facts of that story. Ars Technica gives us narrative A. AI can certainly contain bias, despite not being alive. This has the potential to become extremely problematic in the future, holding the possibility of portraying societal opinions as truth on a mass scale. Luckily, there is still time to control and amend the problem. 
Programmers and their vigilance hold the key to mitigating this and making sure that AI becomes both an efficient and objective tool for all to use. And narrative B comes from The Spectator. The ramifications of developing AI technology are far too vast to even try to predict. Positives are just as numerous as the negatives. AI could act to tackle loneliness, solve climate change, and address income inequality. Attempts to stifle the technology will not work, and versions of AI will regardless soon permeate the lives of billions. AI is likely to evolve and improve over time. The Metaculous Prediction community giving us a nerd narrative of this story as well. There's a, they say there's a 5% chance that there will be an AI bust or AI winter by the end of 2025. In medical news, according to researchers, a pig kidney transplanted into a human functions for 32 days. Here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, Washington Post, CBS, and Associated Press. Researchers from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, or UAB, and New York University Langone Health both independently published research on Wednesday that shows genetically modified pig kidneys transplanted into humans functioned well for one week and a record 32 days, respectively. These results give promise to xenotransplantation, where humans receive organ transplants from other animals, as animal origins are typically rejected by the human body in the minutes after the transplant. The NYU team says the pig kidney has the functions of a healthy human kidney. The UAB results were published in the JAMA Surgery Journal, describing a case where a brain-dead man received a genetically modified pig kidney. The study authors assert that while the findings are limited, xenotransplantation could save the lives of thousands waiting for organ donations. The director of NYU Langone said it appears the pig kidney in their patient will function like a human organ, as the researchers plan to observe their record-shattering kidney's performance for its second month in a brain-dead patient. The pig kidneys were genetically modified to remove a gene that would cause the human immune system to destroy it immediately. Surgeons also attached the pig's thymus gland, which trains immune cells to the kidney in the hopes of increasing human tolerance. The pig kidneys were able to produce urine in the human patients, with the UAB study being the first to show that the kidneys can filter creatinine, a waste product that must be filtered from blood. More than 800,000 Americans have kidney failure, and 100,000 are waiting for a transplant. Thanks, Eric. We have a narrative A from the Washington Post. Thousands of Americans die every year waiting for an organ transplant, as the dream of xenotransplantation finally seems within reach. Leaps and bounds have been made in a life-saving field of research, but the FDA and insurers need to be ready to help get it to the American people. There is now enough evidence to start clinical trials in living patients, and organ shortages could finally become a thing of the past if we move quickly. We follow that up with Narrative B from Euronews. Pigs are sentient creatures who feel fear and pain and should not be treated as a source of spare parts. These genetically modified animals live miserable lives, and their organs could pose a health risk to humans, carrying diseases unknown to us. There are real steps we could take to stop the organ shortage, such as making organ donation opt-out and using engineered human tissue that do not involve this unconscionable practice. A kidney is just really a filter, a complex yeah. organic filter. So I right. guess that makes some sense. You'd think like liver and kidney could be the two ones that are most similar. I'm not a biologist or anything. Right. But I did once cut open a frog a long time you ago. You, 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 you what? You cut open what? What are you talking about, you animal what? cruelty? Biology class, <laughs> right? Okay, no, okay, no, okay. no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I swear right. it was sanctioned. It was Mr. Liga's <laughs> class. <laughs> 
Our final story, UK scientists identify smoking addiction causes and cures. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nottinghamshire Live, CBS and The Telegraph. After analyzing the brain scans of more than 800 smokers taken at the ages of 14, 19 and 24, scientists at the University of Cambridge say they've discovered differences in the brain from that of their non-smoking peers. The study, published in the journal Nature Communications, found that teenagers who began smoking at or before the age of 14 showed a significant reduction in gray matter in a section of the left frontal lobe linked to decision-making and rule-breaking. Co-author of the research, Professor Barbara Sahakian from Cambridge's Department of Psychiatry, said that the ventromedial prefrontal cortex is a key region for dopamine, the brain's pleasure chemical, and an area that has long been believed to affect self-control. Scans from the study additionally found that the right frontal lobe had less gray matter in teenage smokers. According to scientists, this could also lead to addiction and influence the ways in which young people seek pleasure. The shrinkage of gray matter in the right frontal lobe, also linked to marijuana usage and binge drinking, begins with the start of nicotine addiction. The study concluded that shrinking gray matter results in a damaged neurobehavioral mechanism, meaning young people begin to use nicotine early on and form long-lasting addictions. From this study, the team believes they can now work on potential addiction treatments, including using psychotropic drugs to reduce or eliminate brain shrinkage to enable normal functioning frontal lobe, and use brain-altering technology to isolate and treat this region of the brain. Professor Sahakian believes the results could also link to vaping, though the study did not account for it. Thank you, Scott, for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from The Telegraph. This research is a positive step forward in understanding and treating nicotine addiction, but the rate at which young people in the UK are switching from cigarettes to vapes suggests a large degree of the study's usefulness will depend on whether it's also applicable to vaping. Teens across the world are facing the impacts of vaping, from bleeding lungs to lung collapse scientists must determine if these results can be used to prevent such health disasters. And narrative B comes from the unheard. The threat of vaping is often massively exaggerated by media. Though deaths and serious illnesses do occur as a result of vaping, in terms of years of life lost, disability, pain, and the burden on global health care, smoking remains the first priority in terms of research and treatment. Western societies have chosen to treat e-cigarette usage interchangeably with tobacco smoking, even though the former remains far more popular. The research is excellent news as it will help tackle an ongoing health crisis affecting the lives of many millions across the globe. And we've got our final nerd narrative of today's podcast coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 62% chance that smoking and sex will be less prevalent in the U.S. in 2050 than in 2021. Thanks for listening to The Verity Podcast for Friday, August 18th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Verity, please visit our website, verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.